0: You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.
1: I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew six twenty-five. Thank you, praise team. Uh, those uh, songs this morning couldn't have been... More apropos for the the message that, the, that I have for today, this, the passage that God has for us. Matthew 6, 25, we're going to read through verse 34 in just a moment. In the 1800s, there was a French general named George Mueller Messina. He was serving under the orders of Napoleon himself. And uh, one day he came across this quaint little town in Austria that was uh, vital to their little military strategies. And so he descended outside of that little quaint town with 18,000 soldiers preparing to invade it. And, of course, those citizens saw this, saw them being set up out there, and they got anxious and scared. And so they called together a a town meeting, uh, and uh, they were basically in that meeting discussing the details of their surrender, because there's no way their little town could defeat 18,000 troops. Well, one of the leaders in the church uh, that was there, because they were having it at the, at the, the little town hall, uh, he said, look, it's Easter. We cannot... Uh, Close our doors and fail to worship Christ on Easter. We cannot surrender today. Let's go into the Lord's house and worship Him, and let Him deal with this. So that's exactly what they did. They called, they rang the bells of the church, and gathered all the people into the church, and they praised and worshipped Him. And when they were done with the service, they exited the church. And as they exited the church, those eighteen thousand troops had broken camp and left because. General Messina had mistaken the church bells uh, for the arrival of the entire Austrian army. And so he had broken camp and fully retreated. And so Christ was honored and uh, the people were saved and anxiety was defeated. And as Christians, we spend way too much time analyzing all the details of our lives and our world and our situation uh, right into an anxiety attack and depression and uh, worry. We rush and we fret. And for what? And that's the question. This is the last of the series of questions I believe I'm going to be uh, asking you this that Jesus is asking us. And so I want us to stand back up in honor of his word and read this. He's going to answer the question, does worrying help? Don't give us any spoiler, spoiler alerts. All right, we want to find out what the text says. Matthew 6.25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink nor about your body, what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, meaning the the pagans, the wicked, seek after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I want to ask Regina Owen to come and ask God's blessings on our service today. Regina.
0: Let's pray. Oh, sweet Jesus, we just come before you just praising you for who you are. You keep us. You save us. You give us life. You give us us light. Thank you for being our provider being almighty our forgiver our friend our compassion and counselor god your word is true and we stand on that today and we thank you for these words that have been spoken out of your word i pray that you'll bury them in our heart so that we won't sin against you oh god is as, as Went opens his mouth i pray that you'll just pour his spirit through him tender our hearts so that we can let the spirit do the work in us that needs to be done father we love you We thank you. We thank you for being here and providing us a place to come and worship and exalt your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you. You all can be seated. Back in early March... Uh, we, uh, we talked about not being anxious, but more because of tragedies. And we looked at a particular tragedy over in Matthew chapter 8, in verse 23, where Jesus, uh, they were in a storm, and He said, Hey, don't be afraid, Oh, you have little faith. Of course, then He rose and rebuked the storm. And, but the reason I'm preaching on anxiety again is because anxiety, victory over it, doesn't just enable us to look death in the face when we're on the mission field or when we're taking the gospel to faraway places. Victory over anxiety enables us to look life in the face as we trust God for His daily provisions. Every little daily provision, every little worry, all those little pins and needles that you sit on, they need to be given to God. And it's not just protection from tragedy, it's power to trust Him for daily provision. And so the first thing that we see here in the text is the command. Matthew 6 verse 25 The first part of that verse says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink about your body, what you'll put on. And we tend as Christians even as Christians, to water down certain commands. We kind of like to group them like the prophets, minor prophets, major prophets. So we like to have minor offenses and major offenses, you know, minor commands, major commands. The major commands, obviously, those are like murder and stealing and adultery and drug addiction and taking God's name in vain. But you know, those lesser ones like little white lies and little things like that worry, you know, those are lesser, right? That's is that how it works? <laughs> I'm sure you heard about the lawyer who um, ran a stop sign. He was a hot shot from California. And um, was looking for the Randalls. And, uh, and he, he mailed off to the guy, he said, license and registration. He said, well, what did I what, what did I do? He said, well, you didn't come to a complete stop. He goes, well, I slowed down, and I, there was no cars coming. He said, yeah, but you, you you didn't come to a complete stop, license and registration. He said, I'll tell you what, if you can tell me one example of the difference between slowing down and stopping, I'll get out of this car right now, and I, I'll, I'll pay you, and I won't say another word about it. He said, okay, I'll step on out. As soon as the guy started getting out of the car, he took out his nightstick and began beating the mess out of the guy. Just beat him. And the lawyer was screaming and hollering and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, you want me to slow down or stop? (laughs) And so when it comes to worry, God's not saying slow down. He's not saying do it less. He's saying, just like murder, don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it at all. Um... Jesus says, uh, do not be anxious. He could have used any tense he wanted, by the way, but he puts it in the imperative command. That's the, that's the tense of the verb, do not be anxious. And we know for a fact that we're equipped with all we need to obey God's commands because God says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which we quoted recently, that there's always a way to escape temptation, All right, And if God commands us to not be anxious about our lives, Right? then it's a sin. And if it's a sin, then we have the ability through Christ to overcome it. And church, I'm I'm not here to tell you uh, which medications are good or bad. I'm not talking about antidepressants and and pills. I'm I'm not getting into that world right now, okay? I'm not here to tell you, set some uh, worry paradigm, you know, on the scales of anxiety. Well, you haven't been through what I do. Well, they haven't been through what I've been through, Right? But whether you're a one or a ten on some human measurement of anxiety, if you're a believer, you are bound to the laws of God. Doesn't matter what anyone says, you're bound to them. And he commands us to not be anxious. So he empowers us to not be anxious. We worry and we shouldn't. Not worrying is a command. Next, the Lord mentions the component. Matthew 6.25, the second half of that verse, says, Is not life more than food, more than clothing? Church, listen, food and clothing are components of life. There is more to life. Now, ironically, the word anxiety that Jesus uses here is now the, the O on the end is the imperative tense. It's from merimna, uh, to worry, to be anxious. It literally means apart as opposed to the whole. A.T. Robertson says that figuratively it means to go to pieces, to be pulled apart in different directions. It's a word a word used of effectively distributing concern in proper relation to the whole picture. Philippians 2.20, 1 Corinthians 12.25. Food and clothing are components to the whole of man. And oftentimes our attitudes about food and about clothing uh, are dictated by our worldview. That's why worldviews are so important. If we see stuff, material things, as the only only components of life, then by all means be worried. (laughs) Be anxious, all right? But if we back up to verse 19 in the same passage... Uh, uh, Matthew six verse nineteen. Do not, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. There's another command, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, uh, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. There's your worldview. There's how you see things. How do you see things? How do you fit things into your worldview? So if your eye is healthy, biblical worldview, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, unbiblical worldview, misplacement of possessions, right? Then your whole body will be full of darkness. No one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. So the first passage verses 19 through 24, Jesus is highlighting our attitudes toward the excess of possessions, all our storehouses where we can put more stuff. I don't want another shelf in my house. You know, what, you know what happens if you put more storage in your house? What happens? You fill it up. Well, build another shed. You'll find something to put in the shed that you won't know you have when you need it. So it'll be just as worthless as the ground beneath it. All right. Verses 25 through 34, it's, uh, Jesus is highlighting our basic necessities like food and water and clothes. So in the first passage, 19 to 24, he's focusing more on the worries of the wealthy in general, which is what? A trust in self, self self-reliance possessions. And in verses 25-34, through which we're in today, it seems to be focusing more on the general worries of the poor, which is a doubt that God will provide for your provisions. Wealthy folks are more tempted to put their faith in their possessions. Poor folks are often tempted to question God's provision for their daily needs. But to be honest, we're both guilty of both. Right. So whether we're rich or we're poor, which in America, even the poor are globally rich in comparison. Uh, When we lived in uh, South Asia, the uh, you were at poverty. You weren't at poverty level at the time, I think, if you made thirty eight cents or maybe forty two cents a day. You were you you weren't if you made above that, you were not poor. Fifty cents. No. But, you know, down thirty eight, thirty seven now that you're poor. And uh, so it's all relative, all right? But the way we see our stuff, our material possessions, the the way we view everything from the water we drink to the land we own, uh, from the t-shirts on our back uh, to private planes, how we view our stuff, where those things fit into the components of our life. Listen, what is the width of the slice on our life's pie chart, right? Right? Because how wide that slice is that you give to these things, these, these components, is one of the clearest measures of your faith. You know a little pie chart. I'm not talking about whether you have stuff or not. I'm not talking about how much stuff you have. I'm talking about the place on the pie chart you give to that stuff, the priority that you give it. I don't care if you're uh, you know, a trillionaire, billionaire. I don't care, right? But how, where is it? Where, is, where do you place that? We, we place that high, I believe, at Piperton. This year, we're, I think, on pace to give 10% of our budget to missions, right, you know, right, in addition to things that go on in Sunday school classes and other. Uh, one of those is our, uh, coming up, is our uh, Christmas in July. We divide that offering up into, just for those that don't know, we have five different ministries, at least. <laughs> we have others, but uh, we have uh, Life choices, which that offering from these bottles goes to that. We have La Limie down in Haiti. Uh, We have Ben Hiley over uh, planting a church in Utah. And we have uh, Kenny Boulahanis overseas. And we have, of course, all the missionaries of the world that we take up our love offering uh, with in, around Christmas time. But we also have a church plant over in Fraser, the Williams, that, that we support. And so some we give to the Williams, to that church plant in Fraser, we give monthly to them. That's in our budget. Right? But these other three offerings that go to La Lemie and to Ben Hiley and, and to the Boulahanases, those we take up in July. And so if you want to give to that, you, just, you would just put Piper New Baptist Church, but put missions in the memo, and it'll be divided among those. But we need to live above our stuff, right? the lesser components of life. And in so doing, we're going to leave behind the anxieties that come from the greed of more stuff. Or the maintenance of the excess stuff we already have. Amen. Can I get an amen for maintenance? (laughs) Pools and grass and gardens, right? Stuff. Even the necessities of life are fragments of who we are. Our souls as believers are bound for eternity and our nerves and our emotions and our anxieties must find rest in the greater components of our lives. Namely the fact that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. And that through faith and trust in him alone, we can receive eternal life. That should be the priority. There's the command. There's the component. And third, Jesus explains the comparison. Jesus says, first, if you're having trouble overcoming anxiety as regards uh, the food you're going to eat. He says, pay attention to the birds. <laughs> Watch those birds. Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And I love that Jesus didn't say, uh, look at that bird. Look at that lily. He said plural. He used the plural. Y'all know there's about 8 billion people on the planet right now, Right? That's a lot of people. I think uh, China and India take up about uh, three billion of that, eight. We're third, I believe, in America with 336 million, right? But eight billion is a staggering number. But did you know, according to National Geographic, new research estimates there are between 50 billion or maybe as many as 430 billion birds on the earth. That means there's maybe, you know, 53 times more birds than people (laughs) on this planet. And Jesus says, they, every single one of those possible 430 billion birds, neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and I feed every one of them. And you, are you not of more value than they? And by the way, that word you uh, in verse 26 is in the second person singular. It's a second person singular pronoun, which means you as an individual and you as disciples of Christ. You individually and collectively are less numerous, but more valuable to Jesus. Birds don't plant, but they reap. And that doesn't just apply to physical food. Jesus told His disciples over in uh, John chapter 4, verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. When a person at Piperton trusts Christ, whether it's a kid or or a senior adult, when they trust Christ and they come forward to make that uh, confession public, and we baptize them as a symbol of that repentance, we didn't do that. I didn't do that. You didn't do that. Right? There's a plethora of provisions being given, flooding that person's heart that leads them to Jesus, that leads them to repent. But we as a church reaped it. We got the joy uh, of the harvest, kind of like the joy. I didn't give birth uh, to little Evelyn River, but my little granddaughter was born uh, this week. I want to thank y'all. That's why Vicki's not here. She's staying down there a couple of days to help with the baby, Asher, and and our son Elijah and Becky, if you didn't know that, if you're not on Facebook. I don't even know all the pictures that have been posted, but uh, she's precious. But I'm the beneficiary. I get to reap these benefits that I didn't necessarily have a part of. Every time a believer calls on the name of Jesus in repentance. Church, Listen. A little bird can be the very thing that God uses like a sledgehammer to tear down the walls of worry in your soul. A bird. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something God's using. Like So every time you pick up a fork, <laughs> every time you heat up some leftovers or rummage through the cabinets to get a snack, every time you go on a date and get a cut into a nice, thick, juicy steak, and every time a believer walks these aisles, You remember God gave you that. God gave you that. He gave the seeds to sow that grew it. He gave the health to the farmer that planted it. He gave the water in the sky and the ground that fed it. And he gave you the will to get off your keister and work to earn money to buy it. That's God who did that. Not you. (laughs) Watch those birds. All right. Then Jesus says, if you're losing the battle of worry over the clothes you wear, pay attention to the lilies. Again, in the plural. As a matter of fact, there's roughly 400,000 types of flowers. All right. And Jesus uh, just picked one of them. The lily. By the way, there's over 2,000 species of lilies. But what's even cooler is... There may be 430 billion birds, but how many lilies are there? Anybody know? You can Google it. I did. Good luck with that. I searched and searched. You ain't going to find the number of flowers in the world because you're not going to find the number of sands on a seashore. That's not counted anywhere because it's what? Uncountable. Isn't that incredible? He said, just look at these lilies. 2,000 types of them. (laughs) as far as clothing is concerned, watch them. The uncountable number of supernatural beauty. And if you want an idea of how intricate just one of those lilies is, well he says in Matthew 6.29, I tell you even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. A couple years ago we looked at some of the glories of Solomon, just to review some of these. This is the description of a lily. This glory of Solomon I'm about to read to you is what Jesus compares to a lily. Okay, everything I'm going to read, he's, he says, meh, meh, all right? Nehemiah 13, 26, among the nations, there was no king like him. 1 Kings 3:3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. 1 Kings 4:32. he spoke 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. I think Hunter's probably done that by now. First Kings 4.29, uh, God gave Solomon wisdom and, and great discernment and breath of mind like the sand that's on the seashore. God used Solomon to write three books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, uh, Proverbs. Sol- Solomon built a, t- a beautiful temple to the Lord. Matter of fact, his dedication of that temple in 1 Kings 8 is unbelievable. The number of sacrifices he made on the altars, his prayer, humble prayer of faith. Yahweh himself said in 1 Kings 3.12, none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you second chronicles 8 and verse 9 go on with his glory he rebuilt cities for Israel to have a place to live. He, he defeated enemies he fortified cities he created jobs for the people he even had people from other countries coming to him to check him out and give him money. One of those was the queen of Sheba in, in chapter 9 there modern- day Yemen. She heard of his fame and when she came to Solomon, she told him all uh, that was on her mind and Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that he couldn't explain to her. And when the Queen of Shema had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the, uh, the attendance of his servants, and their clothing. Forget his clothing, just the clothing of his servants, his cupbearers, and their clothing, and his burnt offerings that he offered to the house of the Lord. There was no more breath in her. Second Chronicles 9 verse 5, And she said to the king, Oh, well, the report's true, boy. Everything I heard doesn't even hold a candle to who you really are. You surpassed the report that I heard. Verse 8, blessed be the Lord your God who is delighted in you. That's right, He is delighted in you. And if you're a Christian, He's delighted in you. Verse 13 goes on to say, the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, besides that which the explorers and merchants brought, and all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land brought gold and silver to Solomon. Verse 24, every one of the kings brought his present, articles of silver, gold, garments, Myrrh, spices, horses, mules, so much year by year. One author said, to put Solomon's wealth in perspective, he was worth around $2 trillion in today's money, equal to the combined net worth of the 400 richest Americans on the Forbes list. And church, 2,000 species of lilies, too many to count. And Solomon, at the height of his glory, didn't compare one of them one one flower I don't know these are fake I'm going to take one of those out one flower what a comparison tiny little birds beautiful little flowers the wealthiest most extravagant man in world history and none of them are in the ballpark with the provisions God has for you to be ungrateful considering that huh which leads to my last point the contempt worry is contempt of time Matthew 6:27 which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life someone once said worry is faith in the negative it's trust in the unpleasant assurance of disaster and belief in defeat worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles Worry cripples you. That's why the psalmist prays in Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days, O Lord, so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith should be the end of anxiety. Someone said worry is fear's extravagance. It extracts interest on trouble before it comes due. It constantly drains the energy God gives us to face daily problems and to fulfill our many responsibilities. It is therefore a sinful waste. I don't know how many of you have heard of Cornelius McGillicuddy. Anybody in here know who that is? Cornelius McGillicuddy. I was going to let you get first in line if you did. Somebody can't look up on your phone. His, you knew him as maybe Connie Mack. Anybody know Connie Mack? He's just the, one of the greatest uh, baseball managers in world history. You're like, I wish I did. I won't front in that line. He was born in 1862. Well, there you go. That's why I didn't know. And he, some of you were born about back then. I don't want to say who. Uh, but uh, he started in 1901 managing the Philadelphia Athletics. He managed them for 50 years. He became the longest-serving manager in Major uh, League Baseball history. Holds records for wins, thirty-seven hundred and thirty-one games managed, seventy-seven hundred plus. His victory total is eight hundred and twenty-nine more than the second-highest total, which is two thousand nine hundred two wins by Sammy uh, by uh, Tony LaRusso. Mac retired at age eighty-seven following the 1950 season he was the first american league manager to lead a team to 100 wins and he did it 5 times second most in major league baseball history and on and on his accolades go and of course he got inducted into the baseball hall of fame in 1937 <laughs> but mac listen to this he had another secret of good management he didn't he didn't worry he said i discovered That worry was threatening to wreck my career. Matter of fact, just to let you know, he demoted himself to the minor leagues because he wasn't handling people well. Because he went, his first three years in baseball managing, he went sixth, seventh, and eighth. And so he demoted himself. They didn't demote him, he did so that he could learn how to deal with people better and came back a better leader for it. But he said, "It worry threatened to wreck my career as a baseball manager. I saw how foolish it was and I forced myself to get so busy preparing to win games that I had no time left to worry over the ones that were already lost. He said, and I love this quote, Got you kids that don't remember this, but back in the day, creeks flowed and there were these mills on them and they turned these grinder stones inside to grind grain. And listen to what he said. He said, you can't grind grain with water that's already gone down the creek. It ain't no good to you. Why stare at the water down the creek? Look upstream, right? You say, well, you know, Pastor, I don't worry much. Well, did you know that a dense fog over a seven city block area, 100 feet high, is made up of less than a glass of water? It's divided into, of course, 60,000 million drops. Not much there, but it'll cripple a whole city, won't it? You say, there's not much worry. God says, don't do it at all. Worry is contempt of time. And finally, worry is contempt of God's power and his love. Verse 30, "If if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven and it burns up, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. The contempt of seeing a God that provides for the temporary nature of nature, but lacking the faith to believe that that same God can care for your needs is the spiritual equivalent of contempt. It's like a husband reaching for the pickle jar his wife can't open. She says, no, if I can't do this, ain't no way you can do it. It's contemptible. Just another reason worry and anxiety or sin. Matthew 6.32 says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Church, do you believe that Jesus can and does provide for your needs? Amen? He does. Do you believe that He answers prayer? Philippians four verse four says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What's that got to do with worry? verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The lack of spiritual reason that it takes to worry, the lack of saving faith that it takes to doubt God's love for us and the self-sufficiency it takes to not go to God in prayer it's like filling a balloon with water of contempt until it pops. Don't let it pop, right? Call worry what it is. Worry is sin. And set about praying and trusting God to help you overcome it. And God will help you do it. I don't know where you're at. I know there's all types of anxiety and depression. But God gives you victory over everything. Everything because He's God and He made you. Would you stand? Father God, I ask now that if there are people here that have not called on the name of Jesus, that they would look at the birds. (laughs) They would look at the lilies. They would look at the wealth of Solomon. And, and know that the provisions you've made for us, not just for now, not just for the next meal I'm going to eat, but for my soul in eternity, you've made provision through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray they would call on your name and be saved. I pray they just cry out to you. It's no magical prayer. It's a heart that's broken over your own sin, admitting and truthful to yourself, and believing in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He rose on the third day, and I believe it. I'm calling on you now, Jesus, to save me and forgive my sins and give me eternal life. He can do that if you call out to him. I also pray for those that may want to serve. Uh, Lord, you know, you didn't create us to be pew potatoes. You want us moving in the direction of you. You want us serving others, washing one another's feet, figuratively at least. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that and you would send people to our church to be members here so that they can serve you more fully. Father, I ask that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: This has been sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.